Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast. Don't forget to check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by Lisa. A quality night's sleep helps you prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory, design a better mattress. Lisa at leverage 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Through their 110 program, they donate... Donate one mattress for every 10 they sell together with the Arbor Day Foundation. Lisa plants one tree for every mattress sold. Don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash rewatchables. That is L-E-E-S-A dot com slash rewatchables. All right. Sit down. Have a cream soda. This is going to be done in a second. Midnight Run. 30-year anniversary. Coming up. The rewatchables. Robert De Niro does the shooting. Don't move, I'll shoot you right through the glass. Charles Roden does the complaining. This is not good. They're the best friends Glad to see me. that ever wanted to kill each other. You get it started, and I'll run you over. From the director of Beverly Hill Cop. Because of different circumstances, probably still would have hated each other. <laughs> Midnight Run, rated R. Special sneak preview, Saturday night. All right. Anytime it's just me and Chris Ryan, you know it's a passion project. <laughs> we like to mix it up on the rewatchables. Uh, sometimes we do one for the masses. We do like Dark Knight, Jaws, Social Network. Some, you know, there's ones that we know are gonna are gonna hit pretty big, and then there's the ones for us. ones for us. Miami Vice was like that. What else was like that for us? I think you could make the argument that. Any Michael Mann movie that we do is <laughs> just be for it, us. Ones that we've done in the past. Yeah. Or ones we will do in the future. Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate is when we do collateral, which will be the ultimate. No, the just ultimate for us. is the two part black hat one. Yeah, that well, that'll be season seven <laughs> of the Rewatchables. So Midnight Run, it's the 30th anniversary of this month. I'll start here. Nephew Kyle, who's producing this podcast today, has not seen it. I feel like people in their 20s might not be on their radar. I get it. I was in my 20s once. You don't want to go backwards. But 95% of the Ringer staff at a not, not seen Midnight Run. Yeah. So here's the thing. A, least dated 80s movie. Can you think of another 80s movie that, other than the lack of cell phones, could be released right now, basically? No. Tonally, it's, it's, it plays just as well as it would have in 88. It plays incredible today. A little slow in places, but it's just really, 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 really like feels contemporary. It's probably the best action comedy of all time. Yeah. They can't make them like, like you people have been trying to get at the midnight run vibe. Yes. Since they made this and it fails spectacularly. The plot very quickly is Jack Walsh, bounty hunter failed Chicago cop had to move out of Chicago. We don't know why yet. And his job is to just basically be a bounty hunter, chase down criminals played by Robert De Niro. Charles Grodin plays the Duke who stole a lot of money from a mobster and is now in the lamb. De Niro finds the Duke played by Charles Grodin and then has to take him back to LA by a certain deadline and comedy ensues. That's our plot. Super easy to explain. And the best part of this movie for me is Robert De Niro, because to that point, you know, we're talking about one of the great actors of all time. Nobody knew that he had a funny side of him. Yeah. His I mean, movie, he'd done like King of Comedy, but that's... That's a black creepy, comedy. It's creepy, yeah, it's creepy funny. Yeah. 
So he he's coming off Godfather 2, Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, Once Upon a Time in America, and then in 1987, the year before, Angel Heart and The Untouchables. And then there's a bunch of other ones in there. What do you think there, the like Angel Heart Rewatchables is going to be like for us? That'll be like season 18. <laughs> that comes after Black Hat. <laughs> he plays Lewis Cipher in that. He actually literally plays the devil. And nobody knew that he had a funny side at all. I think he was pretty pigeonholed as mobster guy slash violent guy slash overdramatic actor guy. And uh, and this was a new side of him, new revelation. Grodin was a thing in the 70s. He was never like an A-lister, but he was right underneath and was in a ton of good movies like Heaven Can Wait. Uh, seems like old times. like, But never really kind of made it as a super yeah. duper star. Yeah. Uh, in the eighties, this was probably a good get for him to get this part. We're going to talk about some of the other people that, uh, had been rumored for this part. The movie made over 80 million it was Gene Siskel's sixth best film of 1988. It, the legacy is, is for this movie over the years has been cable. It's been on for 30 years. Yes. It's on all the time. It's on networks where it gets bleeped, where it's not nearly as effective. It's had major runs on, and it is and it is the ultimate rewatchable because you can jump in at any point in the movie. I forgot, I forget the it. order of the scenes all the time. Even though they're going east to west, I forget, oh, this is the diner part. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, chorizo. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I think that there's a couple of really interesting things to talk about for this. I don't remember if we've done this particular bit before, but for me, this is one of the top two profanity movies of all time with Slapshot. Yeah. So Car- when you're a teenager, well, of comedy profanity. Yes. Forty eight hours is in the mix. Too. It's it's up there. But like when you're a teenager and you're first learning how to curse, you learn kind of from movies about how you're supposed to say different words and where you employ them and when's a lot to do it and when is you know, when's it a punctuation mark and I midnight run. While I would not recommend anybody swear like the people in Midnight Run yeah. in their daily life was like, I, I remember feeling like I was watching something almost like illicit the way these guys cursed at each other, yeah. especially Pandoliano and De Niro and, 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 and Dennis Farina. Yes. And the way that they, these guys would just like just scream at each other yeah. so much and then actually keep working with each other. So like the profanity part was a really big deal. And even then, even like I was probably like, a, a, I guess I was 11 when I, when this came out. But I was aware somewhat of De Niro and his reputation just from my dad and from having like those movies be on around. And I did, I do remember Untouchables. And he did, you know, Untouchables was almost like, he didn't jump the shark, but he like gained weight, played Al Capone, does this huge speech, you know, yeah. hits a guy with a baseball bat. It's like, it's just kind of like the end of Mafioso Seriously De Niro for a minute. Yeah. And for him to come back and do something that's so relatable as Jack Walsh. And then as soon as Jack Walsh is out there, you're like, yeah, Jack Walsh. Jack Walsh has become like an archetype, like this kind of beaten down cop, ex-cop who chain smokes and swears and just wants to own a coffee shop. It's fascinating how this has just become part of the fabric of all the De Niro performances that we love. And he's very similar to Jack Cates in 48 Hours and a little bit of Don Johnson in Miami Vice, like Sonny Crockett. We had the a little 80s. less racist than Jack Cates. Yeah, a lot less racist. <laughs> but uh, the chain smoking, beaten down. I didn't think my life was going to turn out this way, but here's this one thing I can hold on to now. And now we've seen 30 years of variations on that, but the, those three were probably the best. Yeah. Uh, De Niro, I didn't know he had this in them. This movie came out, I was like 19. And in the trailer, it was like, what is this? 
Is he trying to be funny in this? Right. It, it just, it didn't add up. He, he had such a serious reputation. And I mean, think about it. Taxi driver, raging bull, um, Godfather, Godfather too, but just like intense. And then not, not the greatest interview. He had, it was coming off about five, six years ago, a little bit of a cocaine. He was involved with that Belushi thing. Belushi dies at Chateau Marmont. De Niro was allegedly there. Robin Williams was definitely there. Both of those guys were subpoenaed. It was just a weird decade. Yeah. And then he got super private. Yeah. <laughs> so he got super private after that. I don't even think he was doing talk shows. Yeah. Well, he's he's notoriously, he's not that he's difficult. He just doesn't seem that interested in talking about himself. Or, in, or that interesting. And playing that game. So you never really see him do the like, oh, I've got five really good minutes here to do on Letterman or Carson. Right. Um, Even like somebody then. like Denzel who... I loved interviewing as a podcast, but was a tough guy to interview. Yes. But he can go on those late night shows and do seven minutes. Also, Denzel on your pod seemed entertained by the the game. Yeah. Like he was messing around, but he was like, I, this is kind of amusing to me. Yeah. Whereas De Niro, I think is just like, nope. Yep. Well, you know, just great work, great material. You know, like I, he's, he's just not that expressive when it comes to the interviews. He's done a lot of comedies in the years, much later than when Midnight Run came out. But he had like from Meet the Parents on, kind of unleashed this funny De Niro side. Was in on Saturday Night Live, and but it, I was never really convinced he's funny at all. Yeah, he's really funny in Midnight Run. Let me ask you. So when you're, because you were a little older than me when this was happening. Yeah. Did you look at De Niro movies like when you would hear about a De Niro movie coming out, or you'd see it in the theaters? Which was it like seeing a great athlete? Because in that run, that run is more or less you'd put that up against any eight nine year run of any actor ever yeah i didn't i wasn't sophisticated enough with movies yet it didn't really happen for me until my senior junior senior in college and then right after college when i really started getting into them like the art of them so it wasn't like the way that we get excited for like a daniel day lewis movie like when no the last 20 years I, I was much more like i loved beverly hills cop and those kind of movies and yeah Rocky and Rambo. I was like a comedy action guy. I, I was not one of those people who would watch the deer hunter five times, like Sean <laughs> fantasy. I picture 14 year old Sean fantasy, like studying the deer hunter. Like I, I saw the deer hunter once. Um, so he still had the legend though, like him and Pacino. When I was growing up, it was De Niro and Pacino. Those right. were the guys. And those continue to be the guys all the way through the nineties I did my De Niro versus Pacino mailbag for ESPN.com page two in like 2001. And it was still like the best argument you could have any somebody versus somebody. Now I think as the years have gone on, I don't even know who's ahead, but this was the type of movie Pacino never could have made. And I think if you're going to make the case for De Niro, he could be in Midnight Run and Pacino can't. Yeah, Pacino did this doesn't work more with Pacino. like Devil's Own and right. uh, what was the McConaughey sports gambling movie? Yeah, Two for the Money. Two for the Money. and Yeah. But, you know, also I think on that flip side, I think that Pacino did like he's much more interesting in Sea of Love. I think De Niro would have been almost like creepy in Sea of Love. Exactly. So Sea of Love is probably the most honest, like probably closest to Pacino as a person performance. <laughs> yeah. I really feel like that was probably Al Pacino. And when he's making out with Ellen Barkin, he probably really was. Uh, and you're right. If De Niro's in that, it has this taxi driver. Yeah, it's like more like Mad Dog and Glory, where he's like, I don't know how to express myself. Right. Yeah. So this this starts a really great De Niro run. Mm -hmm. 
which goes through the 90s and you have movies like Awakenings and Cape Fear and Goodfellas. And, and he starts doing uh, more like not quite cameo, but sort of cameo roles like in Backdraft. Yeah. Uh, sort of a supporting actor in Cape Fear. Uh, Mad Dog and Glory, like we mentioned, um, he's quite good in This Boy's Life. This Boy's Life, I, I thought, was one of the best De Niro's. I think him and Pacino both had the same kind of thing happen to them in the 80s. They kind of lost their way for a little bit. Pacino, when he was on the podcast, talked about how he had done Broadway and he just kind of disappeared. De Niro seemed like he kind of didn't know what he wanted to be. Did he want to be a mainstream star? Did he want to just pick art movies and stuff like that? And I think with Midnight Run, actually probably with The Untouchables, then he goes to Midnight Run. Jackknife, Stanley and Iris. Was that Meryl Streep? Stanley and Iris? Yeah, I think so. Goodfellas, Awakenings, Backdraft, Cape Fear, Night in the City, Mad Dog Glory, This Boy's Life, The Bronx Tale, A uh, Bronx Tale, Casino, Heat. It's quite a 1995. So, yeah, so that that seven-year run, he's really laying the smack down. And, everything- and then also, let's not forget these other three that come after that because they get forgotten a lot, but Copland... Like Jackie the, Brown and Jackie, Wag the Dog. Incredible Jackie Brown performance. Yes. Yeah. Probably he won that movie if we ever do if we ever do our, oh, yeah. our rewatchables on that one. Although I would make an argument for Bridget Fonda. Uh, that's pretty good. We'll do Jackie Brown at some point. Yeah. I think that's worthy of it. So by the time we get to ninety five, it builds up to him versus Pacino and Heat. And that was the that was their NBA finals. Yeah. That was their bird versus magic. Who did we decide won that one? I said Pacino. Yeah, I think Pacino did win that yeah. one. But I think he had a better part. It's more expressive. What, why do you care so much about what I'm reading, lady? I am not lonely. <laughs> uh, all right, Midnight Run, a uh, couple other couple other notes. I got I want to talk a little bit about Martin Brest. About the director. Let's do it now. Okay. Um it's hard to explain to let's say someone in their 20s now the very particular career that Martin Brest had. Because he it's had, hard to explain to somebody in their late forties. Yeah, he had very big successes and catastrophic failures. Yeah, and even with his successes came legendary tales of onset unrest, or the film went over budget, and you know he was uh, it, even with this midnight run, like he was shooting like tons and tons and tons of takes to the point where Yafet Kodo was just like miserable on the set. Yeah, Yafet Kodo called them hair director yeah. like he was like a nazi <laughs> yeah <laughs> and tough. it's hard to like you nowadays it's like colin trevorrow you know made jurassic the jurassic park sequel and was a really big success guy successful guy made book of henry it's like the worst movie ever made got signed up to do a star wars movie got fired off of that and then just like kind of went back to jurassic park and we'll probably go on to make movies that's like the only thing maybe josh trank who got fired off of the Fantastic Four movie, basically, yeah. and then fired off of a Star Wars movie. But Martin Brest would be the equivalent of if I came to Bill and I was like, hey, Bill, I want to do uh, I want to do a DeMar DeRozan goes to San Antonio story. And Bill's like, oh, great. And I came back six months later, 
having cost the company $75,000. And I was like, I didn't really get a good DeMar DeRozan story, but I got an incredible article about this taco place in San Antonio. And then I I was like, but what I should really do is do this Kawhi story. And then two years later, I came back having cost the company like $300,000. And I said, I never actually made it to Canada. Like, this is literally what Martin Brest was doing. He would make these huge, expensive movies that maybe even underperformed with the exception of Billy Hills Cop. Sam Woman was pretty successful, but then he would just get a chance to do it again. And it all culminates with Geely or Geely. Yeah. Yeah. He does five movies in 20 years. Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> a classic. Right. Midnight Run, classic. Son of a Woman won Pacino the Oscar and I think got nominated for best film. So three major hits in a row, but o- over the course of nine years, yeah. which is suspicious. Doesn't work again for six years. Meet Joe Black. Yes. Doesn't work again for five years. Gili, and never works again. Yeah. As a director. Yeah. That and is that one was of also the back in a time careers. when you could just sort of be like, "I'm going to work on this script for six years." Did not die. Still alive. <laughs> very strange. Um, also very strange. This movie got kind of. Grodin didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which in the 1988 Oscars is just flat out inexplicable. Give me the nominees. Alec Guinness for Little Dorrit. Okay. Kevin Klein of Fish Called Wanda. That's good. Martin Lando, Tucker, and The Man in His Dream. Boy, a lot of really, really big swings in 88. River Phoenix running on empty. Oh, he's incredible. He's pretty good in that. Dean Stockwell married to the mob. Okay. Grodin not getting nominated is a travesty. Did De Niro get nominated? So here are the best actor categories. Tom Hanks, Big. Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man. Edward James Olmos, Stand and Deliver. Gene Hackman, Mississippi Burning. Max von Sydow, Pelly the Conqueror. Okay. Neither guy gets nominated. Uh, That's a tough one. Interesting era because a lot, you know, um, one of the things I found like completely fascinating doing a little bit of reading about this was that De Niro wanted to play the lead in Big. Right. So, and that's, we got to save that for casting what ifs because it sets off a chain of events. But De Niro goes for Big, going back to the De Niro conversation, for whatever reason, decided that he needed to be in a lighthearted, some sort of funny comedy. He needed to show a different side of himself. Goes for Big. And the studio says, no, thanks, Robert De Niro. And they go to Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks then gets nominated for the part. De Niro settles for Midnight Run, does not get nominated. And I don't know who wins that in the finals, Midnight Run versus Big, for what would have been a better career choice. I love both of those movies. I think it worked out for both of those guys. De Niro as Josh Baskin almost makes my head explode. Oh, it would have been so creepy. It would have been weird. Him as a 13-year-old and... You blew it, Josh! <laughs> Him on the piano with Robert Loggia? I, yeah. I just don't see it. I, I actually think they made a pretty good move. So this sets off. 48 Hours started it. This kind of pushed it over the top with Lethal Weapon. And now it's been 30 years of buddy cop stuff ever since. To the point that the 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 gimmick's almost dead. Yeah. I don't, there's nowhere left we can go with buddy cops. They basically now just try to do it as homages to these movies, like an homage to Lethal Weapon or an homage. I mean, like, you know, Rush Hour, um, to some extent, Pineapple Express was really trying to capture this vibe. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things that is basically impossible to do, which is keep something funny 
while also having it be like a legit action movie. And I think part of the problem is that people think that the comedy is supposed to be in baked into the action. Like it's supposed to be almost slapstick action. Yeah. But really it should be a straightforward cop movie that actually just has great lines. Yeah, because there's a couple moments in this movie that are genuinely become scary. Especially when Dennis Farina, because Dennis Farina plays the evil mobster who yeah, decides to, he's trying to kill yeah. the Duke. There's a couple moments where it's like, holy shit, he's this, the Duke's gonna die. Yeah. Like I'm bumping, this is this is this got dark. <laughs> and you're right. Nowadays it's more slapstick, and when there's danger, it's not really danger, and you never feel like the people are in danger. You feel like the people are in danger in this movie. This goes back to what Cheers was able to pull off in the '80s, which was. It was a TV show that happened to be really funny. It eventually became a sitcom, but the first three, four years, they would have five minute stretches where there are no jokes. Yeah. And when somebody was funny, it was actually funny. And now it's like set up, set up, punchline, set up, set up, punchline. And I think the action movies are like that. Like the way you would rip off this movie now, if you either remade it or did a rip off version of it, you would do it with women to make it stand out apart a little bit. You would do it with like Tiffany Haddish and the Jack Walsh part in. Kirsten Wig is the Duke. Yeah. Right. And you would do some variation of that. They would not be able to bring in the danger part of it. It would still be slapstick. I, I actually thought Keanu, the movie that uh, Keen Peel did, yeah. which I like more than most people, that movie actually was able to straddle the, the yeah. danger versus comedy side a little bit better. But for the most part, uh, really hard to pull off. This movie uh, does one thing I noticed when I was rewatching it. And it's really something, the only other example, like, or the best other example of this I can think of is Die Hard. And that is the one outfit movie. Where yeah. The person starts out their day or starts out the movie in one outfit. And you're like, okay, so Jack Walsh, gray sweatshirt, this cool leather jacket. And over the course of the movie, you can see what he has been through because he's still wearing the same outfit five days later. Leather Just ja- like in Die Hard, he Old shows up. leather jacket. Yeah, and he takes off his his uh, his short sleeve shirt and he's wearing a tank top underneath. But then, you know, Hans comes and, and there's a hostage Hans. situation in the Nakatomi Plaza. And by the end of it, he's just like covered in dirt and blood and you can see how bad it's been. And it's the same thing for Midnight Run. You can yeah. see how bad it's been based on how disgusting Robert De Niro's sweatshirt is by the end of this movie. I was always fascinated to know, Gloria Gresham did the costume design, like how many sweatshirts did they have? And how did they make them so beat up? How many leather jackets do you think he had? That's what I'm this? saying. Because leather jackets actually like break in and look cooler as you wear them like that. And also, how many cigarettes do you think he smoked oh in this God. movie? Oh my God. Well, this is a m- much larger. You yeah, want to talk yeah. about cigarettes now? No, let's let's <laughs> save it. Uh, quick break to talk about Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. They share the best deals at hotels you actually want to stay at. No more scrolling through endless lists of choices. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. Book in advance, perfect for planners, procrastinators alike. Spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, more. So easy to use. Book hotels in 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe. They even have an HT Perks program. The more you book, the better the deals get. Chris, when was the last time you used Hotel Tonight? Uh, Very recently. To go to Lake Tahoe. Oh. I'm going to Lake Tahoe next month. Yeah, it's honestly one of the best products we promote. But a bunch of people at our staff have used it multiple times. It's super easy. Yeah. Also, you just go and be like, I'm going here. Yeah. Is there a deal? Oh, great. My air conditioning went out the other week, and we used Hotel Tonight to find a place to stay. Yeah, there you go. Hotel Tonight, they're an app, not a website. 
Get the Hotel Tonight app to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. Last thing on De Niro, before we get to uh, the, the categories. Beaten down, sarcastic, cranky, charismatic, volatile, chain-smoking, has-been Chicago cop <laughs> who always makes you feel like there's a heart beating beneath every F-bomb and every menacing threat. He's a hard guy to like, and you end up loving him. I wrote that in 2013. I used all the midnight run quotes to do an NBA free agency piece. I don't really totally know how he pulled this character off, and it's the same thing with Nick Dolte and Jack Cates. These characters, you're just not, they, they're just not likable. No. I, do, I don't know why I like them. You almost get Stockholm syndrome with them. And by the end of it, you're like, I fucking love this guy. They're just not good people. Yeah. And I don't know how he did it. And it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Let's go to the categories. Most rewatchable scene. This is tough because I feel like every scene is rewatchable, but there's a couple that stand out. I'm just throwing out a couple. The litmus configuration test, the famous scene when they go and they try to get money and they dupe the guys in the bar yeah. to uh, to give them $20 that are allegedly counterfeit. Jack goes to see his daughter, emotional. Yeah. Them in the coffee shop, the chorizo, the, chorizo the 53 cent coffee. And then uh, then him saying, Serrano's their heroin dearly you told me about in Chicago. That's the guy that's going to kill me. Dramatic pause. Hope it's a wonderful coffee shop, Jack. Great guilt trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the boxcar scene, my personal favorite. And then the chase scene near the end when he loses the Duke and he's staring up at the helicopters and he stops the car and he goes, I've come too far, too far. I'm too close. Uh, <laughs> I'm too far, too far. I'm too close. Which favorite scene? Boxcar. Most rewatchable. Boxcar. Boxcar is an iconic scene. It's when they finally break down and become real friends. Yeah. Uh, it's also just that kind of, it's a really, really good cathartic release after that, the the car chase through the, the desert. Um, and it, they improvised it for the most part, apparently. Yeah. And it's just such an incredibly lived in, funny, genuine scene between two characters. I think that my two great actors. Yeah, two great actors. I think that ultimately, probably the things I love the most are the little bits. Like you said, it's all rewatchable. So pretty much anytime Farina is on the screen, and pretty much anytime Pantoliano is on the screen, is like a rewind. Yeah, a rewindable scene for me. But the rewatchable scene is uh, is definitely the boxcar. And I read up on it, and did it, for some reason they said. Uh, De Niro's mad in the beginning of the scene because Grodin's character escapes and thinks he gets away in this boxcar and then Jack comes around the other side and he's like, ah, oh, and he's mad. He's like, I'm not talking to you for the rest of this trip, which is pretty funny. It's like his dad. And then uh, they're just sitting in silence and that's when apparently the director told Grodin to try to like loosen De Niro up, but De Niro was so wound up from the scene, he it was tough to get him to crack and they kept trying stuff. And then finally Grodin does a, ever have sex with an animal, Jack? <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of roosters I would have taken a run at back there. Jack? What? Which further do you think we have to go? None of your fucking business. No, because, you know, eventually I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. Shut the fuck up. Jack. 
you ever have sex with an animal, Jack? Remember those chickens around the Indian reservation? There's some good-looking chickens there, Jack. You know, between us. Yeah, a couple there might have taken a shot at. <laughs> and then that leads to the new watch and, you know, a genuinely kind of... I don't know if intimate's the right word, but it's it's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's really good. What's age the best? De Niro and Grodin, the chemistry of those guys. I was thinking about like all-time chemistry between two guys. And what's interesting is apparently De Niro didn't like Grodin that much. I don't know if that's true, but maybe it's thir- after 30 years, the internet st- kind of takes stuff and runs with yeah. it. But I don't think it was perfect between them. I think it was also one of those situations where De Niro essentially is in character when he does these movies. Yeah. And Grodin, I think, is that's probably more or less in the ballpark of the kind of guy Grodin is. Yeah. And so you could see why that would basically get on each other's nerves. And also, apparently, they're just doing take after take after take. Yeah. And Grodin's trying to annoy him. You get the dog, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the chemistry of those guys, pretty rare. You don't see it that often. I was trying to think of like best two guys in a movie chemistry and it's like a shorter list than you'd think. So let me hear it. Travolta and Sam Jackson, I thought were in Pulp Fiction. That's one of the best parts of that movie. I think Gibson and Danny Glover. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. I think that's why they kept making Rush Hour movies. There's something about those guys that just clicked. I'd probably put Redford and Newman from The Sting in there. Redford and Newman. And Redford and Newman and Butch. Redford and Newman just in general, yeah. Uh, I think Eddie Murphy and Nicole Nolte in 48 Hours, that's ultimately the reason that works. Then you start going into this into this century and it just becomes rarer and rarer. Usually it's it's movies where it's just one person driving it. Yeah. I actually, it, this is going to sound crazy, but I have kids, so I, I'm allowed to say this. I think The Rock and Kevin Hart have really good chemistry. Yeah. Those guys really like get along. They're not great actors. I Well, we just did Step Brothers. I'd say uh, yeah, Farrell, Farrell and, and Riley were pretty pretty high Farrell up there. Farrell and Riley. And I'd I th- say Melissa McCarthy and uh, and Sandra Bullock had really good chemistry. Yeah, in the that heat. was the reason that movie yeah. worked. Um, it's just hard. It's hard to find two people, two people that are generally near equals. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, I thought, had really good characters. Oh, yeah. Had uh, good chemistry going way back, but... Uh, it's rare. The F-bombs we talked about, there's 119 in the movie. It feels like there's about 280. It feels like there's like 500 in that, in the last scene or the last time that he calls Eddie. Yeah. It's just like, they're so, they, they curse so much. Uh, the phone call with Farina to Moron number one and Moron number yeah. two. Is this Moron number one? Put Moron number two on the phone. <laughs> and then at some point they're talking and the other guy's fake punching the guy who's on the phone. And shadow. Because he's shadow, shadow. That whole thing just slays me. It's not a rewatchable scene because it's short, but just that whoever thought of the shadow boxing yeah. thing fucking kills me. McCarran Airport, which is kind of a depressing place. It's happy when you land, but on your way out, um, when everybody's leaving Vegas, it's the saddest place on earth. Absolutely, It has not really changed since this movie at all. No. And this movie came out in 88. I started going to Vegas in the mid nineties. And when you're walking through it, you just have the urge to scream. Serato's got the discs. <laughs> Serato's got the disc. And just walking around. It just has that feel to it. You know, it's another underrated setting that actually has not, 
I'm sure that the stores have changed, but the vibe is kind of similar. What? Grand Central Market, downtown LA. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's where yeah. Chin is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even, I never even made that connection. Yeah. And it looks pretty much the same there. I mean, uh, I don't we, think you could take a payphone call from one of the restaurants now, <laughs> but it's pretty like they're down on on uh, Fifth Street is where uh, oh, we have to we have to go down there and Instagram video. Yeah. It for the nine fans who are listening to us. Danny Elfman's music. OK, so you remember what's the name of the band in 48 hours? The Bus Boys. It's, this is like this is a Danny Elfman score, but it's essentially like if the Bus Boys did a soundtrack and i've seen some people who don't like this i i would venture to say that this is one of my favorite soundtracks i know that's crazy but it is so memorable anyone who's a anti-soundtrack is a moron this is one of the best soundtracks ever and it's got like the right feel to it and then it slows down at the right parts and then it kicks back in and it sounds like the music that steely dan's backing band would play before becker and fagan would walk on stage or something yeah like just vamping around a little bit a little bit more like r&b blues but it's so good looks like i'm walking one of the better last line of a movie lines We've so this had. is, are we still talking about what age the best? Yeah. Looks yeah. like I'm walking. I love great last lines to end a movie. And that one's way up there, especially like him walking out of LAX, which having lived here, it's like, that's <laughs> not a fun walk at all. And then uh, we mentioned that the scene when he goes to see his daughter before, that's one of my favorite De Niro scenes. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's really awkward. You feel for him. He's trying to connect with. He gives her that weird hug. Like everything he does in that scene is the like forty a, seconds. A, a list. What, the forty seconds while Gail goes to get the car keys or whatever. And he's just, and he's looking just at like, her. I don't have anything to ask her. I don't know what to like. You're in eighth grade. Eighth grade, huh? Like, and then it's just it's really really well done. And then she offers him money as he's leaving. He can't take that. It. it becomes a little warmer. And they walk to the car and he lets Groden in and he kind of opens the door of his wife's station wagon so Groden's coat doesn't get caught in the car, like almost like it's his wife. That every beat in that yeah. scene is like A plus list. Yes. It's really that that's one of my favorite De Niro scenes ever. I would, so you could say that the thing that aged the best almost is like the weird sentimental emotional moments. Yeah. Like that, because because the end we'll talk about the end, I'm sure. But that there's a couple of moments in there, there these in this that are really unexpectedly poignant. What do you think are the greatest De Niro scenes of all time? That's a great that's question. Up there, I um, think when he kills the guy in Godfather Two, yeah, the way the, he plays the that, walking across the walking across things, and stuff. just the intensity uh, of it. There's, there's a couple great moments, weirdly, in Cape Fear. Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out the the specific De Niro part in Goodfellas. Because there's, I mean, the coolest I would say thing, it's when Joe Pesci dies. Yeah, there's the phone booth, but there's also that when um, the, one of the intro shots of Jimmy or when Jimmy, I think, is first starting to kill a bunch of people. And it's like that slow-mo shot, I think, while Hendrix is playing and he's smoking yeah. at the bar. And you're just like, that's the coolest person I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they did a great job with that. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be a seven-hour podcast. And then uh, in Heat, basically every scene. Yeah. But I, the diner scene, he's really good in that one, too. But, yeah, he's had a lot of great moments. This is way up there. There's got to be a couple other ones. I mean, there's many scenes in, in Deer Hunter. There are many scenes in Taxi Driver. There are many scenes yeah. in Raging Bull. Raging Bull's kind of tough to watch now, though. I To me, that was a one and out. It's a, that's too, too intense. Black and white. He's just an awful guy. Beats the hell out of his wife over and over again. Yeah. That's a tough watch. What's age the worst? 
<laughs> I got this. I got this locked up. <laughs> oh, what did we say for what's age the best? Danny I Elfman? think we said the point, poignant moments in Danny Elfman's music. Okay. What's age the worst? De Niro bringing a gun on an airplane. <laughs> That's kind of jarring. It's like, what? This movie could be released now, except for he brings a gun on the airplane, the pay phones, the lack of cell phones, and uh, no internet. But yeah, he brings a gun on an airplane. Yeah, there's another, catch him on there's the another plane. thing that we, we don't do anymore. You're saying like, what, would, what, what sort of like, this movie would play fine if it yeah. wasn't for cell phones and guns on the internet yeah how about the fact that he fucking smokes everywhere yeah but that's i had that too all the cigarette smoking <laughs> it's and then groden gets pissy at him and you're kind of mad at groden yeah. it's like come on man let he's the dude smoking smoke. on a bus next yeah. to him and he's smoking like, in a payphone and he's like these cigarettes are killers <laughs> if i ever did a podcast with De Niro, which will probably never happen it would be one of my first four questions how many cigarettes did you smoke during midnight the run? first has to be a million scene is him going to pick up a guy and downtown los angeles um and he's walking through this it's it's like a kind of beaten down apartment building but he's walking through this carpeted apartment building hallway and he as he's about to pick the lock on this guy's apartment he just puts his cigarette out on the carpeting (laughs) outside this guy's door and i was just like what kind of savage barbarians were we in 1988 where people were just like smoking and then putting out cigarettes in the carpet what about can you imagine what that smelled like oh my god well, I remember even as recently as the 90s when you flew. Yeah. And you'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, I got stuck next to a smoker yeah. on the plane. Like, that's like inconceivable now. Yeah. And then now there I'd was, be sitting next to Nephew Kyle. Just everybody would just next be vaping us. now. That's true. Yeah. Nobody that's would, probably happening now anyway. Well, they have to say, like, if you do this, like, vaping is also not allowed. So is that be, true? Yeah. They have to say that now. But well, yeah, the smoking constantly. Well, think Marlboro about it. Though. Reds too are a kind of a harsh thing to just be like chain smoking all day long. But on, in combination of what you said about Are you Martin, Reds, Kyle? I am. Martin Brest, who made them do take after take. Ugh. So, so they so have to get the cigarette back to the right side. They had to have smoked like five I mean, they packs have those Mad Men cigarettes that are basically like air or whatever, but even those are things. No, De Niro's method actor. He's not smoking fake cigarettes. You think he's smoking Reds? Oh, just I think like he's smoking Reds, reds the whole thing. They- <laughs> Kyle, you want a cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, I smoked camel lights. They were a little like I felt like that was a little bit more of a subtle experience. Reds are just intense. Reds are tough. Reds are like. <laughs> like I hate to talk so much shit about my reds. <laughs> Anytime this shows on cable with the bleeps, that's age the worst. Yes, this movie is not intended to be watched with bleeps. As Chris mentioned earlier, the uh, the art of the fuck, the art of the f bomb is really in full place. But the number one thing for me that's age the worst. Eight guys get knocked out in this movie. <laughs> Eight. There's no concussion awareness they never, whatsoever. They never bleed. They never bleed. Marvin gets knocked out four times. <laughs> He's got CT. Marvin, Jack's, Jack's rival bounty hunter. He gets knocked out four different times over the course Played of a hundred movie. Played by John Ashton, and he's one of the, yeah, he's one of the nice cops in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. He gets knocked out four times. The Duke gets knocked out twice. More on number one and more on number two both get knocked out. We have eight knockouts. Often by pistol whip. Yeah. Or or shotgun butt. Yeah. yeah. You're not getting up from that. I uh, I wrote in 2013 that this movie was actually directed by Roger Goodell because there's no concussion awareness <laughs> at all. But I think that's age the worst. Is there any... Uh, would you have any alternative for that? No. It, I never thought about the amount of head trauma that happens eight in knockouts. this movie. Yeah. I mean, Marvin... 
Marvin is definitely like on an E60 piece right now. Jeremy Shapps interviewing him. <laughs> He's in a dark room. <laughs> Just talking about <laughs> the midnight run filming. He's never been the same. He yeah. can't remember his wife's name. Casting What Ifs presented by ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. This has one of one of like the Pantheon, Pantheon, in my opinion, of all time casting what ifs. So we talked about we talked about how De Niro opted in only because of Big, but you have to go back further. Paramount obtains the script. They line up Harrison Ford as Jack Walsh, Walsh and Chevy Chase as the Duke. By the way, that's a pretty good movie. Uh, I mean, that's that's about as good of a backup movie as we're doing. So that's post Fletch. Yeah, we're talking like eighty six, eighty seven. I think Chevy Chase as the Duke is is actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, would have enjoyed it. Harrison Ford as Jack Walsh is unbelievable. Just he's he's basically wearing his Blade Runner outfit. Yeah, I don't know if he pulls off the cigarette smoking or the profanity. Maybe a little too handsome. I haven't heard him curse that much. Yeah, it's still interesting. Chevy Chase has a conflict; he can't do it. He's doing two other movies: this is Funny Farm and something else. Harrison Ford drops out. De Niro opts in only after he was turned down for Big. They go to Albert Brooks to be the Duke. Turns it down. Albert Brooks is the Duke. Another incredible one. kind of actually. I don't know how it would have been that different from Grodin. They were always kind of on each other's corner. Wesley Morris would have said the market correction for Grodin was Brooks or vice versa. Brooks probably wins that one head to head. Probably. Probably. Yes. But I think they could have played each other's parts pretty easily over the course of 15 years. Like Albert Brooks easily could have been in heaven can wait. Yeah. Paramount decides Cher should play the Duke. Yeah. I remember this because I, when I wrote my thing five years ago, I'd done the research and Alan Sepinwall was the first one. Shout out to Alan Sepinwall, by the way. I know he's listening to this. Um, Alan Sepinwall and eight other people. <laughs> Alan Sepinwall and his family and then eight other people. But um, they wanted Cher to play the Duke. I can't imagine how bad that would have been. And, and Cher's moment as an A-list actress was really only like, what, three years? And this was right during the kind of the peak of that share moment, which which is, I don't even totally understand why there was a share moment. So Paramount pushes for Robin Williams. This is the same year that he makes Good Morning Vietnam. I don't know if he chose Good Morning Vietnam because he didn't get Midnight Run or whatever, however that played out. But he he tried out, like he sent, he wanted to audition. Tried out, he auditioned and, uh, and Paramount wants Robin Williams. Bress says, no, I want Charles Grodin. Paramount says, fuck you, and sells the rights to Universal. Yep. With Grodin and De Niro attached, Universal then makes the movie and it becomes uh, a, a major success for them. So I guess my question is, man, what a casting, what if? Well, here's is this the other movie thing. better or worse with Talk 1988 about, Robin Williams? But here's the sliding doors. If he's making this movie either instead of Good Morning Vietnam or after Good Morning Vietnam, it probably has a knock-on effect as whether he's in Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Which but, is the career changer for him, right? But if he does Good, Mo- Good Morning Vietnam and Midnight Run back-to-back, I actually think he's in a bigger place than he would have been. But I don't think Midnight Run is Midnight Run if Robert Williams is doing the Duke. So that's my question. Is because he's just too... The energy was just... Grodin kills it because Grodin is just like, come on... Come on. 
I mean, what am I gonna jump off a train going 90 miles per hour? Like, you know, it's so measured. It's it dry perfectly measured. plays with De Niro. But you don't think Robin Williams could have done that? No, I think he would have been doing bits all through the whole thing, which makes it a comedy. Yeah. The, my only counter to this would be: what if he was like World According to Garp? mellow Robin Williams. He he was like Dead Poet Society Robin Williams with just a little bit of funny in it and played it much more seriously. I think he could have done it. I don't know. I think you're right though. I think they they would have been doing those takes over and over again. I think he would have lost his mind and became Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting what if. He's certainly a better actor than Charles Gordon is, but I think he Charles would have been Gordon more played it better. Expressive, but and I think that it, it's also another thing is one of the things that's so good about Williams and Goodwill Hunting is that he has like kind of grown into this body and he's kind of yeah. like more bulky and burly in Goodwill Hunting and he feels like a kind of he feels like that character. He looks like that character. He was still so slight back in the eighties. Yeah. And I don't know. I can't imagine like a guy. I, it's a really, really interesting. What if, but I think they Groden, I can't see anybody else doing it, but Groden huge cock, Robin Williams, <laughs> big cock. It was a big revelation in the HBO documentary. <laughs> really hung like a fucking stallion. I haven't seen a whole that. bit about it. <laughs> Bobcat Goldwitz making jokes about how huge his crank was. Okay. <laughs> Robin Williams. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> That documentary, uh, <laughs> that documentary, the, my biggest problem with it is it completely underplayed, mismanaged his transition into being a dramatic actor. Yeah. I thought I had good parts and bad parts. I thought I was pretty uneven. But, um, you know, Mork and Mindy ends, it makes it seem like his movie career is over because Popeyes didn't work. And then he goes and does the comedy stuff. Um, but it leaves out like uh, World Coin to Garp, Moscow on the Hudson, all these movies that he made in the 80s that I saw all of them because I loved Robin Williams. And he gradually evolved to that kind of good morning Vietnam where he was able to handle more in a movie and then ultimately Dead Poets Society and Goodwill Hunting. And, you know, serious Robin Williams was the all-time hit or miss actor. Yeah. He had some awful, what was that one with Cuba Gooding? That's one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, man. I had when I had my legal cable box in the mid late nineties, that movie was on for a week and I tried to watch it a couple of times and I don't know which one is with Cuba Gooding. Yeah, it's it, what dreams may come oh, or God, one of those. That one? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the worst movies I've yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he was good, he was good. Anyway, uh Grodin's probably a safer pick for this movie. If Rob Williams had played it correctly, I think it would have been great. The only other casting would have Jimmy Serrano played by the late great Dennis Farina. Ron Perlman, Dennis Hopper, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, and Alec Baldwin all considered to play Jimmy Serrano. Alec Baldwin in the late 80s would have been an interesting choice. Nobody's better than Dennis Farina in this part. It's impossible. I but, think, you know, Liotta too would be a little too young probably. The Dion Waiters Award. Dare I say we've never had more candidates. No. Maybe Heat? Yeah, Heat, Heat would be up there. But this is basically every single person. He's making a move, man. <laughs> I had to get it on. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dan Waiters, we have Dennis Farina as Serrano the mobster. The great John Ashton. I hate on the internet when people do the great dot, 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 and it's some writer who's mediocre. <laughs> it's like another another piece by the great so-and-so. It's like, that person's not great. Stop yeah. it. The great John Ashton. Uh -huh. This movie in Midnight Run. Be where, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Where he plays uh, Rosewood's partner. Detective the, Billy Rosewood? <laughs> cop 2? 
one of the great heat checks anyone's had. I know. He is so good in Cop 2. I never understood why John Ashton didn't have a bigger career. I love John Ashton. I love John Ashton, Marvin, in any other movie, he wins the Deion Waiters Award going away, but I don't understand why he didn't have some Fox cop drama where he's like, I feel like he easily could have been the Dennis Franz character in NYPD Blue. John Ashton? Yeah. God, that's a good shout. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't really know what happened, happened to him. I, I, see. John Ashton's agent. Go to hell. You fucked that up. Yafet Kodo. Not in a lot of scenes, but huge stats in this movie. Maybe what? 15 minutes? I mean, just he hits his, like seven threes. Just his like presence when he's just like, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and then he carried that over yeah. to uh, some network stuff. He plays, Yafet Kodo plays the FBI agent who's looking for both of these guys. And then De Niro steals his stuff. And there you go. Um, Joe Pantoliano, who has his own award on this podcast, the Joey Pants Award. This was during a stretch where he stopped being that guy and he really kind of became Joe Pantoliano yes. in this movie. Because he had been in Risky Business and Running Scared and Eddie and the Cruisers and he had all these things. And then by this one, it's like, all right, who is that guy? That's Joe Pantoliano. One of the great ones. Dyed hair, by the way. And then uh, Philip Baker Hall as, as uh, Dennis Farina's lawyer. So by this strict letter of the Dion Waiters law, yes, it's Pantoliano as making the most of your opportunity. Over Dennis Farina? <sighs> Dennis Freeman is in like five scenes. They had to film all of them in Vegas because he was doing Crime Story. He's barely in it, and he's completely over the top. I go Farina. We can agree to disagree. I'm just going to give you some Farina lines. I'm going to. I'm going to stab you through the heart with a fucking pencil. <laughs> Sydney, relax. Have a cream soda. Don't say a word to me, Sydney. Don't say a fucking word to me. I'll get up and I'll bury this telephone in your head. <laughs> I don't know. He's doing this all while wearing a baggy gray and black sweater. Yeah. And it, it was global warming not a thing yet? Like, why were why was it so temperate in Vegas where, they're, where they it's are? Very, very. Uh, it was a cool, cool week in Vegas <laughs> yeah. when they filmed this movie. Farina, my favorite Farina performance going way, way back. The first Miami Vice season, he plays a mob boss called Lombard. And it's probably one of the best three start to finish Miami vices. And he's this kind of mob boss who's in trouble. And at the end, he, I think he ends up either getting killed or he's about to get killed. And then he played a mob boss at crime story. <laughs> and then he played and he became typecast yeah. as like a mob he's boss. He's either basically. a cop or a mob boss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was actually a Chicago cop in real life for like 18 years before he became an actor. My this favorite is the Farina, best version of Farina. Of my favorite Farina is probably uh, in Manhunter. He's good at Manhunter. Uh, as as the as Will Peterson's boss. I think did you like Chaz Palmentary in a Bronx Tale? I thought he was okay. He's yeah. fine. I think Farina's better in it. Farina also very good in Out of Sight as Jennifer Lopez's father. Oh yeah. I I'm all for Dennis Farina. The Joey Pants Award. It was an all time that guy extravaganza, as we discussed. There's a couple of these that guys are not that guys anymore. We said their names, but like more on number one and more on number two, both that guys. The dad from My So-Called Life, who's also in this movie, who's an FBI agent. Yeah. He's, he's a that guy. And then uh, one of the great, great that guys, Eddie Moscone's sidekick, Jack, who's diming him Jack out. Jack Kehoe, right? Why don't I go get some donuts? Yeah, like, what, what, should I go get some donuts? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and unbelievable that guy. But we have to give it to Joey Pants because the awards named right. after him. Half-assed internet research. Couple things. Grodin has permanent scars resulting from the real handcuffs he had to wear for a great deal of this film. Not to mention all the takes. That'd be a great if they, is Charles Grodin alive? Yeah. All right. If there's ever a Charles Grodin podcast, I'm going to ask him to see the permanent scars. The boxcar scene entirely improvised on the set. We talked about that. De Niro got so into this part that John Ashton said during the fight scene on the train, he actually punches Marvin. Got, got that into it. Actually literally <laughs> punched him. The script originally had Marvin die in the scene where Serrano Stuggs knocked him out, but they felt like the climax would have been less dramatic and suspenseful without him. They shoehorned him into the McCarran sure. airport scene. So there you go. Let's take, uh, let's take one more break. Let's talk about Freshly. Tired of spending hours on dinner or trying to master those meal kits? Do you do meal kits, Chris? Yeah, I do. Okay. Freshly is the new way to get a dinner on the table in no time. They're chefs cook and deliver delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat healthier without any of the work. Each meal made to order just for you. Rotating weekly menu of more than 30 options. Always something new to try. They're chefs and nutritionists. Make sure every meal is all natural and nutritious. Made with high quality ingredients. Come home late. You can still have a delicious chef-cooked meal waiting for you. Some of the meals they have include Sicilian-style chicken parm with broccoli. Freshly does a take on chicken parm. Really interesting. Use almond flour for the breading so it's low carb. Comes with a side of broccoli so you feel super light and healthy after eating it. They also have stuff like home-style meatloaf with cauliflower mash, Southwest chicken bowl, Southwest veggie bowl. Order Freshly today and see what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. You can go to Freshly.com slash Rewatchables, F-R-E-S-H-L-Y.com, Rewatchables slash Rewatchables to get $20 off your first six dinners. $20 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com slash Rewatchables. Okay. Apex Mountain. Grodin, yes. Yes. I didn't even think that's a debate. De Niro's complicated. It's not. It can't be. It's, But it is a a high step on the way to the apex. What is your apex for De Niro out of curiosity? Is it Marvin's room? It's probably Taxi Driver. Marvin's room? <laughs> <laughs> I would say his apex has to be Raging Bull. Okay. Coming off uh, Godfather 2. I have to say I think Goodfellas is pretty high up there. Well, it's it's way up there. It's weird because he's had multiple apexes. Because for me personally, Midnight Run is his apex. Because I just love De Niro and I don't think anyone else could have played that part nearly as well and made it the movie that it was. But then you get to Casino and it's like, now we have this familiarity with De Niro. We've seen him in all these things. And then he comes into our life as Jimmy Conway and there's anticipation with it. It's like Scorsese's making a mob movie. De Niro's in it. Yeah. And that was really the hook. We didn't, oh, it's based on this Henry Hill thing, but we didn't know that much about it. But De Niro was in it. It had this credibility and anticipation. So you could argue that was his apex, that he had built his career to the point that it was like De Niro, Scorsese. What, when, where is it? Dennis Farina, Yes. John Ashton, I still think Beverly Hills Cop 2. Beverly Hills Cop 2 over Midnight Run. He's unbelievable in Cop 2. Doesn't he get shot in the beginning of Cop 2? 
No, his wife leaves him. Oh. It's all jokes about how his his divorce with uh, with uh, Judge Reinhold just making fun of him for his divorce all the time. Joey Pants. Um, I mean, Joey Pants has done a lot of really good movies. He's great in Memento. Uh, he's great in The Matrix. But this is my favorite Joey Pants. I think this was his apex because he becomes Joey Pants. Also, Joey Pants has to do so much that's basically like running to chin lose or yeah. saying like. Jack Walsh got the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> he asked that was my second favorite quote in the movie. He called me 10 minutes ago yelling and screaming and telling me to go fuck myself. You're telling me to go fuck myself. Tell me to go fuck myself. Then <laughs> uh, everybody else, whatever. So last week we asked the listeners to tweak the Danny Trejo category for us. Yeah. Because we had already decided that Danny Trejo should be in every movie. A couple people did variations of the idea that I'm going to use and adopt. So I can't give one person credit, but we picked three actors and we have to decide which one of those three would have been the best in this movie. And here are the three that I've settled on. I haven't even told you this. Okay. Danny Trejo. (laughs) Steve Buscemi. Okay. Michael K. Williams. In 1988 or just in general? We get, we're get we taking them out of a time machine in their primes and we can put them in this movie. Which one are you picking? For Midnight Run? For Midnight Run. Bush- I think it's obvious. Buscemi. Yeah, it's Buscemi. Yeah. This is a fun game, right? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I like it's a good it. one. Yeah. I think Buscemi could have played seven parts in this movie. Yeah. He easily could have been more he on number one the guy number two. The, the donuts. <laughs> yeah, he could have been the donuts guy. He could have been Joey Pants. Yeah. He could have been one of the FBI agents. He probably, you could have snuck him in as the Duke if you're trying to save a little buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Fun category. Thank you for all the suggestions. The Mark Ruffalo, they do! Which is also now the Robert Shaw in Jaws. <laughs> Bill Simmons as Robert Shaw <laughs> as Quint. <laughs> uh, Mark Ruffalo, they do. Slash Simmons Quint. Who overacts in this movie? I don't Nobody really overacts. I would say that, uh, I'd say that Pantoliano never really modulates his performance very much. In a good way. Yeah, I don't Everybody's telling me to go fuck myself. (laughs) Pick a nits. Other than the eight people getting knocked out, which we discussed earlier. Number one, they made three sequels. They did? Three TV movies starting in 1994 with Christopher McDonald playing Jack Walsh. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not against Christopher McDonald. But that was a I time when you think... could just like kind of fire those into space and no one would notice, man. Yeah, that, I think, I don't know, straight to video or what. The sequels were called Another Midnight Run, Midnight Run Around, and Midnight Run for Your Life. I live my life pretending they never happened. Okay. I suggest you do the same. It bothers me. I remember there was a time in the um, in the blockbuster era of running movies, and we had a great piece on Graylin this week about blockbuster, of... Uh, You'd see the bot, you'd be like, Midnight Run, you'd have this split second where like, the Midnight, Midnight Run sequel, and then you realize it right. was the Christopher McDonald one. So fuck you for that. <laughs> My biggest nitpick is the Serrano got the diss. Jack Walsh basically gets caught. He finally gets caught. He loses the Duke. He's now officially run out of time to get the Duke back to LA unless he can somehow get the Duke back in the next 18 hours. He's with Mosley on the FBI, who's he's impersonated for yes. the last week, which. Seems like a federal crime that you go to jail for a long time. Yeah, it's a felony you'd go to jail for a long time. Not to mention all the other stuff he does on this whole road trip. Comes up on the plane. He's like, I have a way to get Serrano 
I'll give him these discs. We'll say they have information or whatever that the criminal information He'll take them and you'll be able to get them for whatever. Uh, it was like racket, like state racketeering yeah. charges or something. Dennis like Freeman is like, cool, good plan. Let's go. Yeah. They fly to Vegas. Yavik is like, I will throw the full force of the federal government behind this plan yeah. that a bounty hunter came up with on a plane. That bounty hunter who's been impersonating me for a week. Yeah. And then they go in and now he's relying on this crazy ex-cop who's been impersonating him to pull off this crazy plan. Jimmy, there's something I've been wanting to say to you for ten years. Oh yeah, what's that? You're under arrest. It's a flaw. It's it's the flaw of the movie. Uh, Anything else you have? Yeah. I know that I can. People will probably respond to this by saying, "Well, it's like this." I find it a, a challenge to believe that someone with the mental acuity of Marvin, especially after going through so much head trauma throughout yeah. this movie, consistently is able to get ahead of the Duke and Walsh's west westbound traveling. So it's like he's in Pittsburgh when they leave New York. Yeah, but he is able to find the specific train that they are on. And easily get into into their car, and then is able to catch up with them multiple times across the country. And he remembers his Amex card. Yeah, he remembers he has Jack Walsh's Amex card written down that he cancels. So I always, I was always just a little challenged to believe that like they are always able because this is especially in a in a world where. You know, Eddie calls Dorfler and he's just like in that hotel room. Like he just knows what hotel room he's in. Or when they're calling Tony Darvo and it's like, just call this matchbook and they'll put you through to wherever I am. It's yeah. like, how the hell did we ever get in touch with each other back in the 80s? That's a, that's a really good nitpick. Plus he had four concussions. So yeah. he's like, I got to cancel my credit card. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember any of the digits because I have severe head trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what my own name is. Probably unanswerable questions. I really only have two. One is how long does the Duke actually stay alive? I feel like he's dead within six months. Probably. Well, I guess Serrano's in jail. Eh, he's still putting the word out through the through the bosses and stuff. And then does Jack Walsh or this is actually a multi-part question. Does Jack Walsh actually use the money to start the coffee shop? Yes. Where is the coffee shop? I was just going to ask you what Los Angeles coffee shop or do we think it's LA? Is it LA area or does he go like Echo Park? Does he pick a neighbor, an up and coming neighborhood? Well, in my my dream of dreams, there is a collapsing of the singularity, and Jack Walsh opens the restaurant that Neil McCauley takes (laughs) Edie to. (laughs) It's a book about metals. Yeah. So why are you so interested in what I do? (laughs) Uh, But yes, I do think he opens a coffee shop. But where is it? Oh, hi. Oh, you think he goes outside? Yeah, I think he moves to the country, starts over, just smokes in Ohio. I think it's in early. I think it's in Koreatown. I think he got in early and then it got destroyed in the riots. Okay. And then, he, then that's that's our sequel. His coffee shop's in Koreatown. <laughs> loses the coffee shop. And then, uh, I don't think that has the same tone as Midnight Run. <laughs> Who won the movie? De Niro for De Niro. me. De Niro. I, uh, it's my favorite De Niro performance ever. It's this, this or Goodfellas. This is good. This is 1A, Jimmy Conway's 1B. Probably third place, 
Godfather 2 because he's doing like a young Brando impersonation that's kind of crazy when you think about it. When yes. you're watching it, he's like, I'm not only creating a character, but I'm creating a character based on what I feel like Mar- Marlon Brando's interpretation of this character would have been 30 years earlier. Yes. Just fucking crazy acting. Um, Heat for Taxi Driver Raging Bull. Raging Bull 5. He really, he really perfected the. I'm getting in crazy shape. And I rewatched Deer Hunter again recently, which is a tough hang, but is he is incredible in. Deer Hunter is kind of an amazing movie. Yeah, and it, it, it like I nephew Kaya would fall asleep and take nine cigarette breaks during it, but the first hour of it and the wedding and yeah, Meryl it's, another, Streep it's also and, another like oh John Cazale only made the four best movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, De Niro wins. Honorable mention for Gruden. Mm-hmm. And then uh and then all the that guy people. And then you can make a case Danny Elfman's in there. And then Martin Brest. I think I, De Niro wins it. De Niro wins it. Do we do best quote? Oh, best quote is uh But it's like the entire movie. Best quote's the entire movie, but I think the one iconic, iconic quote is Here come two words for you, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Can we I wanna see I've said wh- that one the most. <laughs> Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words. You're goddamn right I do. So here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. It's just hilarious. It's timeless. It's. I want to put a special shout out to one that's not exactly... Um, it's not exactly like this as profane or funny as the rest of them, but the scene in the next life, Jack. Because yeah. um, the end of this Recurring movie theme. is astonishing. Yeah. The gesture that they make at the end, that he makes at the end, and the way in which it's like... He hangs up on Eddie and he lets him go and he's like walking away and he's like, it would have been a nice coffee shop, you know, and he starts to walk away and and that the way that they have the happy ending where he's just like, it's not a bribe. You already let me go. When I was making my getaway, I thought the FBI was closing in on me. Take it. Take it. I took some traveling. Take it. Take it. It's not a payoff. It's a gift. You already let me go. You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. I wish I had money. I know you had money. I didn't know you had money. You know, right. it's so good, but to see you in the next life is just such a perfect thing because it's like, these guys are never going to be friends. These guys are never going to have... That's why there can't be a sequel to this movie. Yeah. Groden has to go to the Virgin Islands or like some, you know, some some tax haven and Jack's going to do probably stay a bounty hunter. But it's just so great. Jack's probably never going to see his kid again or not for another nine years. They're not changed, but there is this moment of recognition for each other. That was a borderline nitpick for me. Groden has all this money on him. He never ever is like, "Let's, I'm going to break character to do this. Groden, this whole movie, it turns out he has a money belt on him that has how much money you think? But I think that the whole point of that- How much money do you think he had on him? Uh, Like 500 grand? 500 grand, yeah. And I think the whole point is that if he ever is with- Marvin or anybody else he would try because he says to Jack in the beginning he's like I'll I'll double what whatever Eddie's giving you for me yeah so you know he obviously was trying to bribe Jack that's also a borderline nitpick that Jack won't take a bribe well I think it's pretty consistent though but will impersonate a federal officer (laughs) trying to make money like what What steals Marvin's car and caves his head in four times yeah what are your moral standards I think Grodin at some point sneaks out maybe a thousand 
Also, do they have thousand dollar bills? What what could have been? Did hundreds, I think bills? they have hundreds. Yeah, so he couldn't have grabbed one hundred. Said he found it on the street. Yeah. Oh my God, this is our lucky day, and done it that way. I mean, super hungry. Yeah. He's eating tree sown eggs. I'm good with these cigarettes. I need these cigarettes. <laughs> tree, uh, tree, anything else? and eggs. Anything else? No. All right. Midnight Run, a classic. I don't know where it's streaming. Hopefully, we got nephew Kyle. Let me know when you guys find to, out. Yeah. Hopefully, we got nephew Kyle excited enough to see it next week we're, we have a vote right now by the time you hear this it's it we put four movies up it's there on, it was fury road in the lead mad max had a slight 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 edge over bad boys too so see my twitter feed to see who who won that one and then the week after that is die hard we're taping die hard at the nakatomi plaza it looks like yeah a week from uh they're doing this 30th anniversary die hard screening at the plaza so check out next week. I'm not going to be on next week's one, but I will be on the Die Hard one. Chris Ryan. See you in the next life, Bill. See you in the next life, Chris Ryan. Thanks to Freshly. If you're tired of spending hours on dinner or trying to master those meal kits, Freshly, the new way to get a dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs cook and deliver delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat healthier without any of the work. Each meal made to order just for you. Rotating weekly menu of more than 30 options made with high-quality ingredients. Always something new, all-natural, and nutritious to try. Order Freshly today. See what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash rewatchables to get $20 off your first six dinners. Thanks as well to Lisa. L-E-E-S-E. A quality night's sleep. Helps you prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory. John Ashton's character, Midnight Run, definitely needs us. He's four concussions. He needs a better memory. Design a better mattress. Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell together with the Arbor Day Foundation. Lisa plants one tree for every mattress sold. Don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash the rewatchables. You can hear Chris on the watch, his podcast. You can hear me on the Bill Simmons podcast and you can come back for the rewatchables next week. Spread the word for us. 